have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. and let's sing together. Rejoice, rejoice, amen. 
our sins before God and before one another, using the responsive prayer which will be on the screen. Let's pray. O oh God, you give us your good news and call us into a new covenant relationship with you. Help us to prepare the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the valleys be lifted up. Draw us away from degrading thoughts and actions, and lift from us depressions and worry. Through humble people, prepare your world, O God. Let the mountains be leveled off. End our pride and take away our arrogance. Save us from false hope and unwarranted presumption. Through faithful people, prepare your world, O God. Let the crooked be made straight. Forgive our sin, and pardon our wrongdoing, defeat evil, and overcome the power of death. Through saved people, prepare your world, O God. Let the rough be made smooth. 
Help us grow in understanding and give us wisdom to discern that which is good and true. Through sanctified people, prepare your world, O God. Let all people see the salvation of our God. Redeem your world and make all things new and bring us into your holy and perfect presence now and for all eternity. Keep us humble and faithful. Save us and sanctify us, O God. For the sake of, of Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ your, your Son, Son, our Lord. Lord. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand once more and we'll sing a song together. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, not yet. We're not singing that song yet. <laughs> We're going to hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> Hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love, from the prophet Isaiah. <clears throat> the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be the fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Doug and Stacy, now I will invite you to stand and let's uh, sing together the song that we started learning last week together. If you weren't here last week, no worries. Um, I think that you'll find part of the tune very familiar.
Amen. Kids, if you have not scooted out already, you can do so now. And the rest of you, church, friends, and guests, the Lord be with you. Good to gather with you for worship this morning. Our text has already been read, thanks to Doug and Stacy Hoy. And so I'll begin today with a question for you. Have you noticed anything different in the sanctuary lately? I'll give you a minute to notice. My wife asked me a similar question recently. I came home from church one day, and as I pulled in and walked through the door, she said, did you notice anything different about the house tonight? (laughs) Of course not, okay? But I didn't want to admit it, so I began running in my head, looking all over the house. I don't see any new kitchen gadgets on the counter. The walls are still painted the same color. The furniture doesn't seem to have moved. I don't see or smell any new pets in the house. And I'm pretty sure a baby still takes nine months, right? Thanks be to God. (laughs) So eventually and humbly, I turn back to my wife and simply say, you're beautiful, dear. That's my final answer. Well, it was Christmas lights on the house, this numbskull didn't even notice as they glowed there in the night. Similar thing happened some years ago with a friend that some of you know, Jess Vanderkolk, who is now a member here at Fellowship 2. Her and I pulled into the same place at the same time, and uh, this time I noticed right away. 
Her truck had new tires. And they looked great. I mean, it had deep tread on it, outlined white letters on the side. It was just awesome. We walked into the place together, side by side, talking and chatting. And I'm feeling really good about myself at this moment until we bump into someone else. And they say, hey, nice hair. And I'm like, you know, yeah, I keep it short. It's kind of it's the look. Oh, her, you mean, yeah, she had gotten it cut and colored. Her whole head was different. <laughs> I noticed the tires. So for the record, dear friends, your hair looks great today, all of you. <laughs> Got a text about a month ago from this same Jess Vanderkolk, and she said, Hi, Ross, I wanted you to be the first to know I got new tires again. <laughs> I was delighted. <laughs> okay, I bought you enough time to notice. Have you noticed? The thing I hope you know, yeah, right? Some of us don't. The new thing are these four lamp posts in this place, our four Advent candles here, which represent the four names that we are leaning into on this journey, the names of Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Today, we're on the second of those four names. In kindergarten, I had a teacher who organized their classroom according to warm fuzzies and cold pricklies. Did anybody else have this with your teacher? It was a brilliant way to do the class. If you did or said something in that kindergarten class that was nice, you would get a warm fuzzy, this colorful, uh, you know, soft thing. If you did something that was not nice or said something that was not nice, you'd get a little cold prickly ball and the message was pretty clear. Well, it strikes me that in our text today, of the four names that we have for this promised child who is to be the Messiah, three out of the four of them are really kind of warm fuzzies, aren't they? You have Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Each one of these is like getting a big hug or be given a, being given a cup of hot chocolate after coming in from sledding in a cold world. Mighty God, however, is a little bit of a cold prickly, isn't it? It's a bit more distant and powerful, not quite as friendly at first. And so today, I want to unpack that one on four fronts with you. First, the feeling. Second, the name. Then the twist, because there is a twist. And finally, the promise. And with each one of these, there's an awkward element. So we're going to name that too, okay? First, the feeling. And I have a confession to make. It's about my feelings. In fact, if we were Catholic, I might actually go to a confession booth and name this. I actually have confessed this to God. I say to God, God, sometimes I have a fire in my belly that I do not understand. Is it of me or is it of you? The fire in my belly springs up in a variety of times, often when I watch movies. So I grew up with the Transformers, which was once a cartoon, and now it's been made into these kind of epic thrillers, more realistic. I realize they're still robots. But man, oh man, as I have a teenager in the house now, when that movie rolls, I notice it in my body. It surprises me each time. My heart starts pumping. My blood starts flowing. It's a story about good and evil. It's about these robots who are fighting for Earth. And when the good guys, Optimus Prime, rises up to strike down the bad guys, Megatron, it happens and it just feels so right. You don't relate to this one, apparently. How about the classics? Rocky Balboa, that one maybe, when he squares off with that Russian machine of a man and takes him out in the boxing arena. Or the old one, Karate Kid, where Daniel faces off with the bully, Johnny, and he takes him down with a crane kick to the face. It's like, let's go. This is, yeah, right? You can feel it. It happens also with a different kind of movie. If you've seen the movie Hidden Figures, that one's a movie about three black women pressing against sexism and racism in NASA in the 1960s. 
They are the ones who ran the computers and did the math so that they could accomplish the things that they did in that particular era, but they are continually up against it, pushed down, set aside, and each time they rise up and break through that in some way, it's like, yes, right? You go, girls, which sounds really honky-tonky when I say it, but you know what I mean, right? In the Avenger movies, my favorite is the Hulk, the big green guy who just has unmatched strength, and it's exciting. Songs do the same thing to me as well, maybe to you too. This fire in my belly, whatever it is, surprises me sometimes. And this one's the real confession. I'm not proud of this, I'm ashamed. But Toby Keith has a song that he wrote in the aftermath of 9-11, and it is a song of revenge. The song is courtesy of the red, white, and blue. Perhaps you've heard it. It says, now this nation that I love has fallen under attack. A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back, and you can start to feel it. Even if you don't want to in your head, you start to feel it. And the song says, oh, but justice will be served and the battle will rage. This big dog will bite if you rattle its cage. You'll be sorry you messed with the U.S. of A. We'll put a boot in that place. <laughs> you get the idea. I'm not proud of it. There's a Christian subculture version of this same kind of thing. The band from 1992, Carmen, a song called The Champion, right? It's a cosmic battle between good and evil. There's a point in the song where God squares off with Satan and says, you shut your face. I wrote the book. And the song goes on in its kind of epic way and the feelings stir, right? Same with Queen's mega anthem still played everywhere. We will rock you a song of domination in whatever they're talking about. In these places, at least for me, maybe you too, my heart skips a beat. My blood starts flowing. It's biological. It's physiological before I have time to think about it. Sometimes the fire in my belly stirs up in church. Sometimes it's when I hear the daily news. Sometimes it's when I lock eyes with you and especially if I know the struggles you're facing. Here's what's awkward about it. I'm supposed to be a man of the cloth. Hmm? And you, perhaps, are supposed to be followers of Jesus, and yet these passions feel so raw and unchecked. So if I were in the confession booth, I'd say, I've said, Oh God, I do not understand my own heart. Why do I love winning so much? And why do I so fear losing? Even worse, why do I relish the demise of the other as long as they're not me? What is this adrenaline rush that happens in me? Oh God, is it of you or is it of me? These feelings make me wonder, do we humans have a need to be against I mean, think about it. If there's not a world war raging, we create a culture war or a denominational standoff or a neighborhood spat or sibling rivalry on a Saturday morning. It makes me wonder, do we need to be against in order to win? For help, let's turn to the name the name that is this two-word text for today, the second of our lamppost lights, Mighty God. In Hebrew, the original language of the text, the word is actually El Gibor. El Gibor. In fact, let's say it together, and I'll offer a variety of ways to translate it. Repeat after me. El Gibor. El Gibor. God champion. God champion. El, Gibor. El Gibor. Divine hero. You got to say it with some chutzpah. El Gabor. Gabor. Mighty God. Mighty God. Very good. Basically, if you break it down, the word El is the word for God in the scriptures. One of them, it's the generic name of God, the name of God of the Bible and of other gods as well. El means God or Godlike. Gabor 
is the exciting word, really. Gibor means strong or mighty or heroic, and it's almost always used in the term of battle. And so the first one is Nimrod, Genesis chapter 10, unfortunate name, Nimrod. But I wouldn't mess with him because he's literally, and I quote, the first on earth to be called a mighty man, a mighty warrior, a Gibor. In Isaiah chapter 9, the text that we've been soaking in this uh, whole Advent season, there's a line that says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, well, who defeated Midian? Gideon defeated Midian. The story is told in Judges chapter 6, and Gideon is described as a man of valor, a Gibor. He's one of them. So also are David's mighty men. If you remember these stories from the scriptures, they are these undefeated great war champions. They're called Giborim, plural for Gibor. If this term were to extend into today's day and age, and especially our entertainment industry, it would probably put on Jack Bauer, Jason Bourne, Charlie's Angels, Mulan, each of them Gibor in their own way. But when you take these two words and put them together, El Gibor, the message is clear. God, mighty to win the battle, or God, the undefeatable. Here's what's awkward about it. If mighty God is taken alongside our need to be against, it gets ugly quickly. In fact, the ancient assumption, classic paganism, which some might still lean towards today, is the idea that every nation had its own god. When the nations warred, so also did the gods, and whichever nation won, that was the god victor, the Gibor god, right? What's different is that Isaiah, Isaiah is offering us a bit of a different story. Isaiah is actually the first of the prophets to start speaking of a globalized God. Less tribalism, more of a God of all the nations. And so while it is tempting back then and even now to think that God has a garden in the world and that garden is me and my people and the rest of the world is the weeds, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Jesus are turning that around and saying, no, the whole world is God's garden. And in it, there are plants and weeds growing side by side, which makes it awkward, doesn't it? So if God is mighty and God is almighty, undefeatable, the question then is, who is God's enemy? If God is a God of all nations, and if national borders, if class distinctions, and if all the other ways that we divide people and groups are actually our inventions, then who is God against? Honestly, a tribalistic God is actually not all that mighty. It's a bit more like an idol that we've fashioned in our own image. I get devotional emails every day from a pastor leader type, and the one that came to my inbox this past Thursday was fitting. This is what the person said. He said, before I made my living talking about God, thinking about God, writing about God, I was a person struggling to have a relationship with God. I had been given a God to believe in, some mixture of what my parents believed, what the preachers had taught over the years, and what my imagination made of the parts of the Bible that I actually read. He goes on to say, but I was frustrated, frustrated by how a God whose name is love could be appropriated to justify violence, hatred, and enmity around the world. Over and over again, I didn't get it. How can religion, which literally means to bind together, how can religion give humankind the license to hurt others, to put people out, and to leave people behind. He goes on to say, if humankind is to thrive, we need to let go of any religion that wounds and kills. Hate-filled religion needs an exorcism, he says at the end. He's not alone. In fact, if you check the book stands, people are writing about this. Karen Armstrong wrote a book called Fields of Blood, 
And the subtitle is Religion and the History of Violence. The next one in the middle has the title way up top, says, Is God Violent? And the book itself goes on to ask the question or to explain how to read the Bible and still be a Christian. The last one, the best in my opinion, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says, Not in God's name. And the subtitle is Confronting Religious Violence. There's got to be a better way, is what we're coming across here. For the old way of being mighty, it's been tried and found wanting. Our world is sick with it, even as we're sick of it. There's got to be another way, which brings us to the twist. I hope you saw it in the text as we heard it again today. For the mighty God of which Isaiah speaks is not a sword-wielding angel warrior. The mighty God which Isaiah speaks of is not a leader of great armies. He is simply, strangely, an infant. A son born, a child given. Apparently, it really is time for this world to think differently about might. So for the sake of demonstration, let's pretend today that I had a nice little table stand and a great big watermelon on top of it. But this particular watermelon was spoiled. It was rotting. It was good for nothing, this watermelon right here. There are two ways that I could demonstrate my might over top of that particular watermelon, isn't there? One way as I could smash it with a sledgehammer, Gallagher style, if you remember. Crowds gather, blood pumps, people cheer. It's exciting. That's one kind of might that could be exercised over the watermelon. A second thing would be to restore it, to find a way to bring it back to its original goodness, to make it awesome again. That's a different kind of might, isn't it? Of course, I can't do that, right? I can smash. It's actually not that hard. Lots of people can smash. But I can't make this watermelon new again. But I know someone who can. And I know someone who can do it, not only with a watermelon, but also with people. And not only with individuals, but with entire worlds. His name is El Gabor, mighty God. He'll do it now or he'll do it later, but he can do it. That's what the term actually means. One who is able to do that which they set out to do, El Gabor. And the child that Isaiah announces is proof that God is mighty in a different way, mighty not to smash, but mighty to save and it's got me thinking, what if true might is to be for rather than against? Friends, that is El Gabor, off the throne and in the flesh. We call it the incarnation. What if vulnerability is true strength? That's El Gabor, Jesus, in a manger, totally dependent on a rookie mom and an adoptive dad. What if costly caring is actually mightier than not caring at all? That's El Gabor weeping for his friends and for his cities. What if the best win is actually to lose so that someone else can win? That's El Gabor dressed up like a fool and hung from a tree willingly. What if defeat is part of the journey towards being undefeatable? That's El Gabor sealed in a tomb. What if the real divine hero is not a dominator, but a rescuer and a redeemer? That's El Gabor risen from the dead so that others can rise with him too. Friends, that is a different kind of might, isn't it? For all the He-Man and She-Ra Christians of the world, this is awkward. But if Jesus is mighty God, then there is nothing more powerful than power made perfect in weakness. And there is nothing mightier than grace 
that is sufficient. Which brings us to the promise. The promise. At the end of today's service, we're going to sing a familiar song, Joy to the World. I hope you know it well. And today, I hope you notice and never forget a particular line in that song. The line is this. He came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. It's reminiscent of the verse that comes right after the most famous verse in the entire Bible. John chapter 3, verse 17, which says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, to smash. Rather, he sent his Son so that the world might be saved through him came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. The only thing that's awkward about that is that it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Do we dare believe it? Friends, El Gabor means he is able. He is able to do that which he set out to do. He is able to make right whatever is wrong, and he came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He is coming, and he is here to meet us at the table. His body, his blood, our benefit. He is coming, and he is here to light up our hearts and to light up this world. He is coming, and he is here to win the battle, not by smashing, but by saving, for he is able and he came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. To that end, come, Lord Jesus, and may we be like him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
It is with joy that we, this morning we come to this table to remember, to commune, and to live in hope. First, we remember that we believe in a mighty God, a mighty Savior who left his space and place at the throne to come and be with us and to live among us as a human did, and not just to live, but also to die on our behalf. We come to have communion with this mighty Savior who is mighty in a different sort of way, vulnerably making himself known to us. And so here at this table, by the power of the Spirit, we believe we commune with that very God. And we come to this table in hope, believing that this mighty Savior has promised to us that even the worst of things on life, in life, death itself, is only a beginning. We come to this table in remembrance, in communion, and in hope. To that end, let's pray together. Holy and right it is, and our joyful duty to give thanks to you at all times and in all places, O Lord, our Creator, almighty and everlasting God. You created the earth with all its plenty. You have given us life and being, and you preserve us by your providence. But you have shown the fullness of your love in sending into this world your Son, Jesus Christ, the eternal Word made flesh for us and for our salvation. For the precious gift of this mighty Savior who has reconciled us to you, we praise and bless you, O God. Most righteous God, we remember in this supper the perfect sacrifice offered once on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. In the joy of his resurrection and in the expectation of his coming again, we offer ourselves to you as holy and living sacrifices. So we ask that you might send your Holy Spirit upon us, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the very communion of the body and blood of Christ. Grant that, being joined together in him, we may attain the unity of the faith and grow up in all things into Christ our Lord. And as this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf and these grapes from many hills into one cup, grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. My friends, this morning we will be partaking of communion in your seats. If you have not received elements and you would like to, just raise your hand. There's elders at the back of the sanctuary that will uh, bring the elements to you. At Fellowship Church, we believe that all those who love God and are learning to follow Jesus are welcome here at this table. For this table is not ours. It's ultimately Christ. And all that love him and are learning to follow him are welcome here. We are going to partake of the elements in just a moment, so you might want to make ready your pouches. The Lord Jesus, on the same night that he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Similarly, we take the element now. Remember that Christ's body has been broken for each one of us. After they had supper, he took the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. This cup is our communion with the blood of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? We praise you, O Christ, for feeding us from your table. And may we see you in the breaking of this bread and in the presence that we feel with the fellowship we have with those around us. And may we proclaim your love and might and saving power in all that we do and say, amen.
As a community who gathers together around Christ, we also live life together in this world. And a couple of updates I want to share with you from our life together. One is that um, we celebrate all the happenings of this weekend, um, particularly a good game that happened last night. No, just kidding. <laughs> it was a good reminder, though, last night, even as they begin these significant events, uh, to remember some friends in our own state. Uh, and school workers across our country who are fearful of the tragedy that happened uh, this past uh, week. And so we remember in our prayers, and we ask you to as well, uh, the folks in Oxford and all those that are working in schools uh, right now. Second thing is that uh, we also uh, will be uh, anticipating um, a special arrival this week. On Friday, we got word just this past week that our refugee family that we've been praying for for a long time is going to be arriving at the Grand Rapids Airport on Friday. We don't know the exact time yet. There's a team that's going to be welcoming them, um, but we ask that you might join with us as we anticipate their arrival and welcome them alongside of some good people and our team here at Fellowship Church. This afternoon, we have our God with Us service. Uh, this will be uh, a, a time for us to acknowledge that uh, while this season is, yes, joyful, it's also uh, uh, filled with the, the pains of life uh, and griefs that uh, many of us bear. So if you'd like to come and acknowledge that with us uh, in, in God's presence uh, and, and celebrate God's presence with us in the midst of that, uh, we encourage you to join us at 3 p.m. this afternoon. Lastly, uh, or maybe not lastly yet, but yesterday was a really cool day uh, for Fellowship Church. I wish I had a picture to show you, uh, but yesterday we celebrated the Hope Christmas store, and we had a number of folks from our community come and sh go shopping in our atrium and in the gym space that many folks are even gathered in right now. Um, and so we give God thanks for that event. We want to also thank you, uh, Fellowship Church, for your participation uh, in that there were tons of people. I don't even know how many Karen could tell you, but it seemed like half of our congregation was there yesterday. So it was really cool. So thanks to all those that were able to uh, participate in that event, even if you weren't here. Um, we give God thanks for that event. Lastly, now finally, um, our president, Jeff Jansma, was anticipating to be here, uh, but he had some COVID in his home, and so he's uh, thankfully staying away from us this morning. But he wanted to bring a little financial update uh, to you. As you might have noticed in the Bell article, um, the end of uh, our finances at the end of October uh, showed that our uh, uh, offerings together uh, weren't quite covering our expenses. Thanks be to God that in November, uh, some of that has been made up, and you'll see that in the next slide. Um, but, and, might be a better way of saying it, and uh, our offerings um, are not uh, just at the same level that they have been in the, in the years past. We believe that God is up to something really good at Fellowship Church, and we saw evidence of that just yesterday, and uh, this we will anticipate it through this week. Um, and we want to be uh, equipped and prepared uh, to, to take part in what God's got for fellowship in 2022. And so we're asking the congregation, uh, as you consider year-end giving this year, to remember Fellowship Church and the ministry that God is doing through us together uh, as you make your year-end gifts. Let us, uh, to that end, if you would like to, there's offering plates at the back of the sanctuary and then also uh, a way to give online uh, for those offerings that you uh, choose to partake in. Let us continue to worship God in the giving of those tithes and offerings, but also in our faithful response through song. So please stand and join me.
Friends, today we are celebrating in song, in sermon, and in sacrament that mighty God is mighty for us in a way that we didn't even expect. Mighty not to smash, but mighty to save. And he came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found.